0: as men and women of God, to prioritize God's house within the context of his kingdom. Our Lord says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, he gives various exhortations before this verse about how we are supposed to think and how we are supposed to live. We are supposed to live our lives free from anxiety of any kind. We are supposed to live our lives rooted in confidence in God and his provision. And in the context of all of that, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the natural things, our natural desires, our natural needs, necessary needs, like what we will wear, what will we eat, where we will live. These are natural needs that are important. He said when you prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all your legitimate needs are added to you. And so one of the questions we should ask ourselves is how do we as God's people prioritize his kingdom? How do we prioritize the kingdom of God? I believe there are many ways in which we could say we are prioritizing the kingdom. But one of the most important ways by which we prioritize God's kingdom is our responsibility towards his house. Our responsibility towards his house. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, the scripture tells us that we should know that we are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in us. Now when he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? He's not talking about us as individuals. Often when we read the epistles, we think that Paul in his writings to the churches, when he says you are the body of Christ or you are this or you are that, we think he's talking to us individualistically. But he's not talking to us as individuals. He's talking to the church there as a collective body. So when he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God, the collective body of the Corinthian church collectively are the body of the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in them. The you in the Greek is plural. Also, we see that Paul says something to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, but if I am delayed, I write to you or I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself... In the house of God. Perhaps you can lower me a little bit, please. Thank you. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar, or sorry, which is the church of God or the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The point I want to emphasize is this: that God's house literally is the body of Christ, the church, the local church, and the universal church. Now we know that as believers, he dwells in us, us, but his house, really, God wants to express himself through his corporate body. So within the context of the New Testament, when we are talking about the house of God, we are talking about the church of God. And specifically, we're talking about the local church that he joins us to. Now, those of us that are serious about following Christ, committed to discipleship, have to be committed to seeing the church the way God sees it. And have to be committed, thank you so much, God bless you, have to be committed to serving God's house, His church, the way God calls us to. You see, often people don't realize this simple truth. Our destinies are linked to the house God joins us to. Yeah. Yeah. Our destinies in life, the outcomes of God's purposes concerning us as individuals and concerning the families that we are part of is linked to the spiritual house He joins us to. Therefore, Therefore, how we serve His house will have a bearing on how we progress in life. Now, beloved, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that if we don't, if we're not in church 24/7, or if we don't give our all our money or all our this to church, we're not going to do well. I'm not saying that. But within the context of the New Testament revelation of church and discipleship. The spiritual family we belong to has a great bearing on God's purposes being realized through our lives. I have seen people, because I've walked with the Lord for 36 years, and I have seen people, I gave my heart to him when I was turning 17, so you can work out my age. I have seen people literally miss out concerning the destiny of God, Regarding their life forever, because of how they related to the house of God. And sadly, sometimes these people, they never actually recover. They may be in the system, they may even go to church, but they never recover. Because one day they made decisions that were catastrophic concerning God's purpose for their lives. God's high calling concerning their lives. And we're going to see through scripture that how we relate to God's house has a great bearing on the outcomes that we see realized through our lives. So I want us to use an Old Testament example in Haggai chapter 1 from verses 2 to 11 which really shows us God's heart and how God deals with his people when it comes to the house of God. In Haggai chapter 1 from verse 2, scripture says, thus, this is the New King James Version, scripture says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came, to, came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, consider your ways. Now, therefore, that says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. That says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord of hosts. You look for much, but indeed it came to little And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Now these are very, very, very searching verses of scripture yeah. in terms of God's dealings with his covenant people. Now you probably know the background to this. This was after the exile when the people of God had been exiled in Babylon and then they had come back. Some, The uh, first group of the remnant had come back to the promised land to Judah. And um, they had started to build the temple. And for whatever reason, they had become so busy that they had neglected the building of the temple. Or the rebuilding of the temple. And it's within that context that Haggai the prophet brings this word. Now he highlights to us the dangers And consequences for God's people when they prioritize their legitimate concerns and their legitimate interests at the expense of God's house. Now beloved I am not talking about priorities that are not important. I am not talking about us doing sinful things. No. These were a people that had prioritized what was legitimate. Where you live, your family, your work schedules. These things are important. They are very important. And God wants us to prioritize these things. But like the scripture we read, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, what things? That legitimate concerns are added to you. So we cannot prioritize the things that are important to us in our personal lives at the expense of the things that are important to God and specifically his house. The God who gave us families and the God who gave us jobs... And the God who gave us and blessed us with cars and blessed us with financial increase wants us to also take care of his house. He didn't give those things to us so that we become so encumbered by them we neglect what is our rightful duty as disciples of Christ. Now, not everybody in church is a disciple. But I trust that those of you in this room here are disciples of Christ. Can you say amen? There are churchgoers and there are disciples. There are those who are saved and going to heaven, hopefully. And And then there are those who are disciples. I believe you are disciples. So I am talking to you from that context. So let's look at some of the things that Haggai the prophet highlights as a consequence for God's people when they failed to prioritize his house whilst they attended to their legitimate and valid concerns. Number one, the first thing I want to highlight, uh, you could look at it in different ways, but the first thing I want you to see is a consequence of them neglecting God's house was poor harvest. Look at verse 6, the first section. You have sown much and bring in little. Now, harvest is not simply financial seeds. It is what we produce as a result of how we have sown our efforts. Now, in their context, they were at an agrarian, an agricultural society. So a lot of their work efforts was based on agriculture. Now, today we do not have that. We we may have it in Ghana for. a certain degree but we have the service sectors we have all kinds of industries that we sow into we give our efforts into and at times when when i look at some of god's people the kind of effort they are putting into what they are doing and the outcomes they are getting it looks to me like something is wrong somewhere are you still here so poor harvest was a consequence of neglecting God's house. Another one was in the second part of verse 6. He says, you eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. Eating and drinking are our most basic legitimate need. And so a consequence of neglecting God's house was unmet legitimate needs unmet legitimate needs. Now we all like our needs being met. How many of you like your needs being met? And we all want our needs to be met. We are all believing for breakthroughs. God of the breakthrough. Hallelujah. Christians like breakthrough and blessings and power breakthroughs and great harvest and hundredfold but how are we relating to his house? At times, I see God's people struggling to have their legitimate needs met. Something is wrong somewhere. Because the scripture says, I have not, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So if you see the righteous needing to beg for bread, it means something has gone wrong. The covenant is not working. Third point, vulnerability and exposure was a consequence of neglecting God's house. He said, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. They became vulnerable, and they became exposed to the natural climate that they were in. But spiritually, I have also discovered that people become very vulnerable when they neglect God's house. And they don't even realize they're vulnerable. Come vulnerable to all kinds of strange things. I have seen very good people become vulnerable to deception because of how they positioned themselves when they came to God's house. Beloved, God's house is given to us. One of the advantages of God's house is that it is a covering of protection. Really, it is. I grew up in a church that had many issues wrong with it. Doctrinally, it was not sound. Doctrinally, it was a it was a church that really, within the Christian context, has a bit of a cultic element in it. But because that was the church God sent me to, I grew up healthily in the Lord because I sought to always honor the house. I sought to do the things that were right before God and His word. I sought to honor leadership. I served in the house of God. And in so doing, without realizing it, I experienced God's blessings in a manner that helped me towards my high quality. You see, no church is perfect and no pastor is perfect. Maybe except for Kingsley. But the reality is, when God joins you to a place... He joins you there because that place is what you need for his purposes for your life. So if you do not prioritize it legitimately, you can become vulnerable to things and exposed to things that you should not be vulnerable to. The fourth consequence was an inexplicable loss of earnings. Look at this fourth part of verse 6. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So you're earning the thing. The business is going. You are earning. But as soon as the earnings come, some unexpected bill comes from nowhere. And the breakthrough that came has to now go to that girl. That sometimes people foolishly say, wow, if God hadn't given me that breakthrough, I wouldn't have met that need. But that need that came wasn't supposed to come. So, rather than the blessings that are coming increasing and expanding our resource base, it's being siphoned off by unexpected and inexplicably undesirable challenges that come our way. You're earning the wage, all right. But as soon as it goes into your pocket, there's a hole. Tokurowun. Hallelujah. And it disappears. Fifth point in these verses. And I want to jump from verse 6 to verse 9. Disappointment. Just general disappointment. You know, many people have smiles in church, but they are disappointed inside. They are disappointed. At times, people are praying, Oh God, I want to get married. And then, after they get married, after they do the honeymoon and they come back, you ask them, how is marriage? And they say, oh, it is good. It is good. But actually, there's disappointment. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Look. I, I have seen this many times. And I normally can tell the, by the answer. Oh, it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Marriage is good. It's interesting. Uh, that's be a challenge. Beautiful. <laughs> Disappointment. At times, in church, people pretend. I am blessed and highly favored, but you're disappointed inside. Look at verse 9, the first part. It says, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. You looked for much. But indeed it came to little. So many people, so many of God's people have all these fantastic plans. How they're gonna change the world. They're gonna change Ghana. They are the answer to Ghana's challenge, Ghana's solution. They are the financial empowerment of Ghana. But even in your own house, your own church, even your type, we can't see the thing. you can't see the thing. You are not able to be faithful with small responsibility in God's house, there is no way God is going to empower you to take care of Ghana. God. God. You see, this man is, is one of my sons. I've fathered him for many, many, many years. And when he was growing up in the house of God, as he was studying, I don't know if he remembers, but I remember. I said to him, Mike, do the church's finances, do it well, and put it on your CV. At that time, he was studying accounts. Put it on your CV. And I remember he said to me, Really? I don't know if you remember, but I remember. And I said, Put it on your CV because when you finish and you start looking for jobs, they will see that you have experience as a finance person in a charity for many years. And so when he finished his um, his accountancy um, degree, and even before he started the ACCA, if I remember correctly, he was able to get a very good job. And one of the things that helped him was that they saw a track record of him being a treasurer of the church for many years. And so, automatically he entered into a senior position because he already had seven years experience above those who were even more qualified. Why? By being faithful to God's house, he was able to experience a celebrated promotion in the marketplace. I am believing that all of you in this place here, by virtue of your faithfulness to God's house, by virtue of your zeal and your commitment to God's house, Will experience acceleration amen. in the marketplace, whatever God has called you to. you agree, you can't say Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Disappointment was another consequence. They looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And then I think the fact that God Himself was creating the disappointment is a challenge. He said. When you brought it home, when you finally brought home what you had, God said, I, not the devil, I blew it away. I blew it away. And they they asked the question, why? If you read in verse 9, they asked the question, why? Because of my house. He said, because of my house. Look at it in verse 9. He said, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins While every one of you runs to his own house. You're neglecting my house. So me too. I am neglecting your house. I'm telling you, when I saw this truth many, many years ago, it really gave me an insight as to why many of God's people struggle. Struggle inexplicably because of their attitude and the priority they place on God's house. Another consequence, there are so many consequences, I'll give you seven, two more, is closed heavens. Look at verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew. Closed heavens. Now, this is not just natural rain. This is a spiritual reality. Now, what that implies is, the prayers you are praying are not penetrating. What that implies is, what heaven has has in store for you to come down has been blocked. You are not able to freely negotiate the heavenly blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus because you have neglected his house. Wow. And then last but not least, fruitless efforts. Verse 10 to 11. He says, and the earth will hold its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and and on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Now, you see, when you look at these symptoms, it's very easy to think that's the devil. That's the devil's signature. Often, because of a lack of understanding of how God deals with his children, things that are from God, people think it's the devil. No. God has a way of disciplining his children. How many of you have children? So if you have children, you will know that your children at times are convinced that they should be allowed to eat sweets for breakfast. Have sweets. Profit for breakfast, and if you say no, they believe you're not being a nice dad or a nice mom. But my, my son says, my, my little boy will say to me, You are not the best daddy in the world now. You are not the best daddy in the world now. When I, when I say no to certain things, and also as your children are growing up, you will discover that sometimes you want to give them something. But you know they are not ready for it. If you give it to them, it will not help them. And so even though they should have the thing, they are not ready for it. For instance, giving my 18-year-old, buying him a car, will not be good because he hasn't learned how to drive. So even if he wants a car, and even if I could get him a car, it would be irresponsible to get him a car. God, at times disciplines his children, restricts his children, takes from his children because of his love for them. Paul tells us, sorry, not Paul, the the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines the sons that he loves. And no discipline or chastening when it's taking place is pleasant but afterwards, it produces or it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Amen. So, at times, when we are having fruitless efforts, it's not because God hates us, but it's because God is trying to get our attention. I am one who lives a paradigm that has, says this: when things are happening in my life, I will ask a question, Lord, what's the matter? Let's just say, I'll give you an example. From November to about January, I experienced a series of funny, funny little things. You know, I started going to the gym as well, by the way. And I was doing really well. And then I sprained my ankle in a very weird way. Which, remember I told you, which meant I couldn't walk properly. And I couldn't go to the gym for over three months. Which didn't help our case. <laughs> <laughs> now even before that I, I felt ill suddenly I, I started to have colds um, and flus and things like that and I didn't been ill for a long time and then so I recovered from that I did my handling. I pulling as I was recovering from that I fell ill again as I recovered from that suddenly, else happened and, and I started to wonder I said, so I started to ask the Lord Lord what's going on for a while there was silence I wasn't getting anything one day my wife said to me You know, Joe, the way recently you've been relating to me is how you used to relate to me many years ago. Now, how I used to relate to her many years ago wasn't very nice. So it wasn't like saying you were a very romantic man. No, it's like you were not a very nice man. So when she said that, I went, went, ah, thank you. So I corrected my error. You see, I didn't even know I was misbehaving. I thought that was me normal, normal guys. I corrected my error because, you see, in our church, we take communion every week. So every time you take communion, if you don't address certain issues, you're exposed. So I corrected my error. And then there was something that God was dealing with me on, something very small. At least I thought it was very small. And I kept pushing it back, kept pushing it back, kept pushing it back. So I also corrected that error. And when I corrected that error, things ordered themselves back to normal. The point I'm making is this God deals with his children as sons. As sons. No, I don't mean it in a masculine sense. I mean it in an adoptive sense. He deals with us as sons. And therefore, when we are going north, He will stop certain things from happening. And not about binding the devil or bombing the devil or atomic bomb blast the devil is going to change God's mind. No amount of making and crying is going to change God's mind. So our attitude towards God's house is very crucial. Say your attitude is crucial. Say to your neighbor, your attitude is crucial. Alright. So let's begin to wrap this up. Let me share with you how we can effectively build God's house. I mean, there's so many things we can still say from these verses, but I want us to look at how to effectively build God's house. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 8, from verses 1 to 5, and there's some wonderful things we can glean from here, and how we effectively build God's house. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Amen. Amen. So, these verses show us something very powerful about how we are supposed to serve God, his kingdom, his house. Now, the background here is this. The Jerusalem church was in a lot of financial challenge because there had been a famine, there had been an earthquake in the Jerusalem church. So Paul, with his missionary team, was going to the churches to raise funds to support what was happening to the Jerusalem church. Because that was the first church. That was the first church out of which all the other churches were birthed. So, he was speaking to the Corinthians and trying to encourage them to give towards this effort. And in the process of it, he now talks to them about the example of the Macedonians. The Macedonian church was full of members who were very poor. The members of the Macedonian church were very poor. And because they were poor, you would think that something like uh, helping another church would be out of the agreement because they themselves were very poor. Some of them were slaves. And some of them were just poor. All right? I'm not sure what's happening here. It says they're deep poverty. They were very poor. I'm not saying that poverty is good, though. I'm just saying they were very poor. So, when Paul and his team shared with the Macedonian church, they were not willing to give. No. They were willing to go above and beyond. That Paul said in their deep poverty. Out of their deep poverty. That's a serious phrase. They abounded in the riches of their libera- liberality. In other words, one version says like that is that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have out- overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. So they did not allow the fact that they had little to stop them in giving much. That's a powerful grace. Said that's a powerful grace. Do you want that grace? Yes. You want that grace. Who wants that grace? Say to your neighbor, I want that grace. All right, so let's look at some lessons we can learn from this narrative. Number one, if you want to be effective in building God's house as a worker. Oh, thank you. All right, let me just finish the, um, let me finish what's there before we get a, a double dose. Thank you. Hallelujah. Are you wondering what that is? Is it whiskey or I don't know. <laughs> Number one. If you want to be effective in building God's house. Make yourself completely available to God. To serve him. Just like the Macedonians. He said they first. Paul said we didn't, they didn't even give as we hoped. They first. Gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Make yourself available to God completely if you want to build God's up. Why? Because when you are doing God's house, when you're building God's up, when you're serving and working in God's up, sometimes it can be a effort. Sometimes, people will get the praise for the work you've done. You are the one who is in charge of, let's say, um, making sure that these chairs in this room is very clean all the time. It's you. Every day, every Sunday, you come early and you leave late, making sure that everything is in place. There's a team of 10, but your team of 10, the leader doesn't turn up until late if you're the leader of the day. Just as example. And then the rest of the age, they turn up later when they know pastor is about to come. But by then, everything is in place. But when prophet comes and he begins to talk about the house, he doesn't call you, he calls the leader. And the leader said, look at this man. And, you know, if this is if, I'm not saying this is what's happening in this church. I'm just using an example, random. This is not prophetic. I'm not moving word of knowledge. So he says that for sister so and so. She's in charge of the the ushering team, and look at how this church, look at how clean this place is, clap for her and her team. But you and the team know it is Kwabna who has been the one who has been cleaning the place. And every time you say Kwabna, hey, hey, they're you, Kwabna, you yeah, Quabner, you, have you. But when the, when it comes for the church, no you know, Kwabna is not even mentioned. Even Kwabna is not even the assistant. Now, Kwabna can be tempted with hey, it's I said, monkey the work and the in the top. You think it's like that? So, when you are looking me, I don't know what's happening. So, he said, I'm not doing it again. Then the question is, who were you doing it for? Yeah. Why were you doing it? Were you doing it so that men will praise you? Or were you? One of the greatest privileges is for us to do something. And nobody recognizes what we're doing. Because it's a surety that we will get our reward in the age to come. Can you say amen? amen? So first and foremost, you must be willing to give yourself to God completely. Make yourself available to God completely to serve in the capacity He requires you to serve in your local church make yourself available the second thing I want you to notice that Paul said is that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us by the will of God in other words not only should you make yourself available to God to serve completely but make yourself available to the leadership or to the pastor or to the father or to the elders of the house to serve by the will of God. Amen. You see, at times, people say it like this. Ask for me, I'm not serving man. I'm serving God. And it's true. You're not serving man. You're serving God. But you also serve God by how you serve man. Absolutely. I said you also serve God by how you serve man. Yeah. Now, you don't serve man in anything or everything. You serve man by the will of God. In other words, you do not serve man by violating... The will of God you do not serve man by going against what is clearly revealed in Scripture I don't believe that we should ever do things to please to, for eye service I don't believe we should do things as men pleasers but at the same time we are supposed to serve men and women by the will of God can you say amen, amen. that means that at times we have to look at what the men or the women of God he has placed over us require from us regardless of what we want to do now this was one of the things that helped me in my journey in my journey in my local in, in my journey in faith walking with the Lord I've been a member of only two churches the church that I was in after I got born again and the church that I oversee today, that's it I've only been a member of two churches And what I realized in my church that I was in, I think I served in almost every responsibility possible. I served as an usher. I served in the choir. I led in worship. You may not think I can sing, but I still led in worship. I was even a musician. I wasn't very good, but I managed to play. I did children's work. I led evangelism. I was in the prayer group. What a sound team. I, I've done sound. I was in the youth ministry. I was a youth leader, a youth pastor. I've done a lot. I'm not saying I've done everything, but I've done many things. Yeah. But what I didn't know was that all of that was my Bible school. Yeah. That was my training yeah. towards my high calling because I never had the privilege of going through Bible school. He wouldn't allow me. I wanted to, today. I have my own Bible schools that we set up. We have some in Ghana, we have some in the UK, Kenya, Syria, and wherever, but I did not have that privilege. I wanted to, but he would say no. So my local church was my Bible school. It was my training school. And what surprised me when I entered into ministry, I was surprised by how equipped I was. Because I will face challenges and I will know what to do. Whether it's casting demons out, whether it's counseling marriage, whether it's this, whether it's that, whether it's putting systems in place. Because you see, in the local church I was in, I gave myself. May you give yourself holy. May you give yourself holy in such a way that your good words will show in the days to come. So, you make yourself available to God, you make yourself available to leadership. Third thing, if you want to build God's house, commit to the vision of the local church you're in. Commit to the vision. Now, sometimes, God's people, we are very strange. The pastor will say what the vision is. Or the mission statement. Now, this is a house of consecration. This ministry is committed to holiness. So, it's outlook is about holiness. Am I right? Holding now. I, I think you to have a statement of some kind that you have. Yeah. Now, some clever person will come along and say, "How's our vision? Your yeah, vision right there. What is our vision?" And then some "Oh, our vision." Is, they'll say something like this: "Our vision is not there. Yeah. The vision is not there." And ah, "But the vision is there. You can see the vision." Oh. The vision is not fair. vision. Nonsense. Maybe that's your vision, but that's not the vision of this house. The vision of this house is spelled out. But if you don't commit to the vision of the house, you always question the vision of the house. I've had people tell me, our vision is not clear. Now, I have been writing our vision out for the last 20 years. I've been telling the church our vision, sometimes the vision statement may change for the vision dynamic. But the essence of it, our mission and vision has been clear. But, people say, the vision is not clear. The vision is not clear. Oh, there you go. Our vision is raising people in the consciousness of holiness which eventually grants them their ticket to heaven. That is our vision here. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. i put it back there. Consciousness of holiness. And you cry, no, utimi tojo, the tojo. Our vision is consciousness of holiness. Say it's not clear. I, I know it's a consciousness of holiness, but tressing a tressing, you see, a church dear I nearly I nearly said something unscriptural. <laughs> <laughs> commit, to, commit, to the vision of your local church. Why? Because Proverbs 29:18 says where well, there is no vision, the people perish, but you can the the law happy city. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It means when people are not governed by vision, that word perish in the Hebrew means they go back. They go back, they backslide. It also means they cast off restraint. In other words, they live their lives without boundaries. It also means they lose direction, they have no sense of direction. They have no sense of focus. When people do not have a vision for their local church, for the house they are part of, they tend to backslide on their commitment to the house. They tend to live their lives without boundaries. They cast off restraint. They do whatever they want to do. They don't think of the... For instance, in this house right workers workers now, there are workers who are not here. Mm, yeah. And the reason why they're not here... Some of it can be rejected, but some of it—it's because maybe they came to the earlier meeting that you had, and so my media, my friend, na na say welcome to me, me, I welcome to the Hallelujah! Amen. Are you still here? Yes. Commit to the vision of the house. He says, "But he that keeps the law, Proverbs nine eighteen, happy is he." What does that mean? What law? He that keeps the law, because the law is in relation to the word of God, is in relation to the vision. When you keep the law of the governing, the guiding principles concerning the vision, happy is he. So. Come to the vision if you want to build the house of God. Number three. Sorry, that's number three. Number four. Identify what needs to be done. In other words, what is lacking in the house? You see, with the Macedonians, their need was clear. We need to help the church in Jerusalem. So we actually need some money. We need money because, you know, we know you're poor. But uh, we cannot collect cassava from you. Taking cassava to Jerusalem or rot. We can't take bananas. Uh, we have to take That's So they, whatever, even though they were poor, whatever they had, they had to turn it into one, and then give it to Paul. In the same way, when it comes to the house of God, look at what is lacking what is lacking what needs to be done at times God will give you an eye to see what is wrong in church not so that you can gossip about it but so that you can help maybe you see that the teams are not joining together the way they need to now in this house the father is a prophet to the nations that's part of the mandate of this house so this house exists to create part of its mandate is to create a context whereby the nations can be blessed with the prophetic mantle upon this house so if you don't you're not discerning and you see the fact that your father at times is not here he's in uk he's in this country he's in that country and you're not designed. to say, Ah, now cry out your pastor, no cry, no. You her. Not me, I remember her. Not me, I remember her. Oh, You so cold, your poor approach. Oh, you you not with me to cry. We need to cry now. Because you're not called to do cry. Oh, yeah. That's not your problem. Are you still here? Yes. So, he has his role to play. You have your role to play. She has his her role to play. He asks us to be. together we fulfill the vision. Are you still here? Yeah. So identify what is lacking and commit yourself where possible. Sometimes you see something is lacking, but we don't have the strength to do it yet. As a pastor, many times I see things that are lacking, but needs to be corrected next year, not this year. Because this year we're correcting last year's things we saw last year. You see, I know I have learned as a pastor never to try to reference it. Because yeah. you can create more problems for everybody. So when you see something is wrong, sometimes when people see something is wrong, they come and say, we need to do this, we need to do that. And if you say, wait, it doesn't even mean what you're saying is wrong. It's just not time. I'll give you an example in our context. A few years ago, our church, in my opinion, was going through a challenge. And as a church, we were not well. We were ill, spiritually. Now, I knew we were ill about four and a half years ago. Five years ago. So, I realized that to correct this problem, is going to take three years. So, I didn't even discuss it with any of my senior men and women, my senior team. I just went about to begin to correct it strategically, systematically, and over time completely changed the culture of the church. Our church is a church planting church, so out of one church we planted many, many, many churches in the UK, overseas as well, many churches. So as you're doing such a thing, you become weak. You lose strength. because sometimes release people. And one time we released over 70 people in one year. We released over 70 people. And the majority of them are strong. In one year we released over a hundred and something people into that one church. So over time we became weak and we needed to recover. And people come and say, oh the church needs to pray. The church needs to pray. I said, I don't know. I said, no, to pray. And then we're not praying enough. We're not praying enough. I said, we're not praying enough. But God will help and then when the Lord began to give me direction about what to do, let me tell you what happened. As the church started to pray, some of these very people who used to say, the church needs to pray, the church needs to pray, they themselves never would turn out to go pray. Yeah. Would never be a part of go pray with So if I responded based on their, we need to do this, we need to do this. I would have missed it. Are you still here? Yeah. My point I'm making is, is this. When you identify what is wrong be willing to do what you need to do and let leadership do what it's supposed to do. So identify what you can do. That's the next point. Identify what you can do. Not only should you identify what needs to be done but then identify what you can do. Because some of the things you will see wrong if you yourself cannot do it you should be patient with the rest of us. So the Macedonians, they looked at themselves. Now, to Paul, they don't do this much. But they looked at themselves and said, even though on the surface capacity because God your poor, we can do this much. Yet, because of grace, we will go above and beyond what is expected. May that kind of grace come upon you. Whereby you are able. able to do six point give yourself willingly to to serve in what you commit to give yourself willingly to serve in what you commit to you see at times people commit themselves to do something but their willingness wanes. You see, the Macedonians—they were willing to serve. They wanted to do it. They weren't being forced to do it. I have discovered that no matter how talented people are, no matter how smart people are, if they are not willing, yeah. they are no use to you. So. I have learned never. Now, when I was a younger pastor, I used to force you to do things. Obey me. Obey me. You do it. you do it. What do you mean? Why can't you do it? Isn't that bad? You will do it. Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of thing, you will get short term effort, but it will So I realized about. 14 years ago, before I came to Ghana as a missionary, I realized, now nah, you can't force me. In 2003, I stopped forcing you. I changed. And I will work on where you are. Yeah. So if this is what you're willing to give, I will not force you to be more. I may try and encourage you, I can do it today, but I will not. And so, if you want to remain stagnant, you will remain I will watch you stagnant. But if you want to move, I will help you to move. Yeah? So, be willing to give yourself to serve completely in what you commit to. Serve willingly in what you're committed to. If you have a responsibility to lead as a self, group leader, field, do it willingly you are the person who is responsible to open and close the building and clean the toilets, do it willingly. Yeah. Yes, I even did a bit of that, not much in my own church, in that, uh, cleaning toilets. What a privilege. Yeah. Do it willingly. Yeah. Do it willingly. Say to your neighbor, do it willingly. Do it willingly. Yeah. And you know, seven point with excellence in the area you are responsible for. Serve with excellence. What does that mean? It means give of your best. At times, as a pastor and as a leader and as a pastor who pastors many pastors, I see people who do not serve with excellence. Pastors who do not serve with excellence. I see leaders who do not serve with excellence. And at times, I myself, I am not serving with excellence. I am very strict with myself. And I tell myself, this is not excellent. For instance, I've written a book, The Hearing, they Hearing of God. Hearing, Hearing from the author. So you will find that the copy that you have, I don't sell that copy. Because after everything was done, the types of things that everything was done, when we sent it and we brought it back, you see that in the scriptures, there these little evil evil um, um, uh, pictures by the scriptures, little, little, little. Some of you think it's inside, but it's a mistake. So that one we give for free, we're not it. So I have to really bring whole new box so that I will sell that one. Because to me, the evil there is not excellent. So I give that one away for free. I've sell, sell that one and I was prepared to work with it. But it's not excellent. One day I wrote the book, the Bible, and then I thought we had done all the truths and it we'll, was we'll selling really well. And then I saw some mistakes. So I called it. I said, no, 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 don't put it out. Don't sell it anymore. Take it off Amazon. So we took it off Amazon. So we removed it. You have to give yourself to excellence. Yeah, amen. Can you say amen? Listen, you, you have to be able to critique yourself and say that. This is not excellent. This is not how we do God's work. This is not how we... Like if you're in a choir and yeah. you are part of the musician team, and there is a practice time. You have to practice. Yes. Ah man can't I yes. You have to practice. You can't just turn up. If, I, I, again, I don't know what happens in House of Consecration, so I can't say. But I am one of these people. If I'm on the pulpit, or if I'm sitting there as a pastor, and... The service has started and a musician walks through and walks through and strolls through. It. As a servant, I from the service and walks on the instrument, i myself a tell you, get off, get off. Or walk up and just walk up and just get the mic and then no no no. If you weren't in practice, you're not singing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Walk yeah. arm and ground yeah. If you weren't part of the practice, you didn't you weren't practicing. So in our church, we have many musicians, but most of them, I said, they have to sit down. We will do a cappella. Yeah. Because if you're not going to practice, you're not going to play. It's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. We want to give God excellence. You know Singing and then God is thinking, are you this thing stinks. Hey, girl. They haven't have given themselves. Hey, now, I'm to... Are you still here? Yes. Serve with excellence. Say, say to your neighbor, I will serve with excellence. Okay, let me give you uh, two more. All right, there's two more. Work in submission with each other, if you want to build God's house. In other words, strengthen one another's hand. The ushering team should work with the greeting team if they're different, should work with the welcome team if they're different, should work with the sound team, should work with the music team, should work with the choirists, should work with the children's team. Everybody should work together. So if I see I'm in charge of the music team. And as I'm, I'm, I'm here, setting up, I notice that children are walking around, nobody supervising them. I shouldn't say, well, I'm not in charge of the children, so this is not my responsibility. I should go and help out, because we are all working together. Can you say Amen? amen. amen. So we must work together. So what working together is we recognize each other's authority. Which means we work in submission with one another as we work together. We work in submission. So if I come into the church and maybe my favorite seat is over here. Because you see, over here, if you sit over here, nobody's blocking you. You've got perfect vision. The prophet is ministering, you can see. The priest, you can see. You can see that thing there. Everything is clear. This is my seat. When I come, I sit here. Now I'm in the And then I'm starting out to say, No, that's right. I need you to sit over there. Over there. Don't you know me? Listen, if the master tells you to sit over there, Submit to the authority and sit over there. That's part of working together. Amen. Can you say that Amen. Whether, I hope this is okay say yes, to your yeah, neighbor not me to you <laughs> and last but not least work together in unity if we want to build God's house work together in unity so nine points I give you work together in unity support one another It is the place of unity that God has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. As you unite together as a workforce, the glory of God will rest upon us, upon this house, and cause us to increase and enter into all the purposes of God for us in Jesus' name. amen Amen. wonderful so we're going to stop there